Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Tony Manfredonia. Tony is a composer and singer-songwriter based out of rural Michigan. And he's worked on projects like Caron's Crypt, Call of Seregnar, and is also a concert composer and teaches composition students online as well. In this episode, we talk about how Tony lives in a very rural town in Michigan, far away from any major city, and how he manages to make a living from music regardless how he handled the many down moments in his career where it felt like there was no forward progress in his life, and how balancing his work and life was one of the best decisions he made, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Tony Manfredonia. Okay, cool. So let's dive right into it. And I want to talk to you about this first thing, which we were just talking about off mic, is you live in Petoskey, Michigan, which is not the hub of video game sound, video game music, film music, or anything like that. And I want to ask you about what kind of your experience is living there away from, you know, the typical big hub of LA and why you chose to live there. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for the question. And I'm excited to share this. The original impetus to move here was because when I, when my wife and I met online through Tumblr, that's a whole different story. (laughs) But we met through Tumblr and I moved here because I flew out here to visit her and it was this kind of northwest lower peninsula of Michigan. I fell in love with the area. I mean, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Right on Lake Michigan. And keeping in mind, I grew up pretty much right outside of Philadelphia, pretty much the suburbs of Philadelphia. And so I was kind of done with the city thing. I just liked nature. I really liked nature more than I liked cities. And so my number one priority was, okay, when we get married, you know, we got engaged and all that stuff. We get married, where are we going to be? I knew, I was like, I just want to live here because it's beautiful. And so for me, the goal was really, okay, how can I create my own opportunities here, right? Because I knew I wasn't going to be an in-hub. So everything I knew, number one, I needed to maximize my online presence. I knew I needed to do almost everything online because even getting to like the nearest city is like four hours away. So everything was online. And then secondly, what can I do locally? What can I do to maximize my music creation locally? There's there's actually quite a thriving art scene here in Petoskey. It's all very mixed. It's like classical music and kind of folk music and rock music. There's a mixed bag here. So a lot of what I've done locally is, you know, arrangements for local ensembles, pieces for local ensembles to kind of help. And it's still music, right? I think that's the thing. For me, it's beyond, okay, what can I do just for games? But what can I do that's music? And so it's become very much a portfolio of income in that regard. It's stuff that I don't even publicize on the internet, like a random arrangement for the the concert band down the road and, you know, <laughs> the local choir needs something. And, and so it's it's become this very multifaceted experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that's interesting that you just mentioned that I think a lot of composers talk about but don't really hit on is it's all just music and you're doing all these different kind of 
musical things, whether it be games or concert music or playing at church or things like that. Can you talk to how they all kind of feed into each other? And, you know, they're not necessarily completely different things from one another. Right. They are not completely different at all. In fact, you know, playing the organ on the weekends, for example, that's been kind of, I was, I was pretty much full time with that uh, up until the last year when I was able to kind of go part-time with that and, and, and kind of take away a lot of the extraneous obligations and just do the weekends, which I'm grateful for. Cause that was always kind of the first step for me, but playing the organ, right? Like learning how to just kind of be at the organ and play the organ and really maximize that skill and kind of coordinating with the choir and juggling kind of different plates all at once. It, it did really help my freelance kind of game audio stuff and my, my private students. Cause it's like, when you have to kind of coordinate so much all at once, you have to kind of make sure you're doing it efficiently. You don't really have much time to dawdle. So of course, initially it was very hard. It was very challenging, but over time you just, I kind of learned these systems. Okay. Well, I don't really need to do that or I can de delegate that to someone else. So even, I mean, gosh, even when I first moved here before I was even an, an organist or anything, I was working like as an iPhone repairman. <laughs> That's what I was doing for money because I needed to make money to, to pay for rent or whatever. And it was in that job that I actually got my first concert commission living here because someone whose iPhone I was fixing, they started talking about music and I was like, oh, cool. Like I, I'm a composer. And they're like, no way I'm a poet. And so then they like commissioned me to make some, so little interpersonal kind of networking skills was, was also learned throughout, throughout the journey too. And that's, that's something that I live by. It's like, no matter what you're doing, I don't care where it is. You can always learn from something. There's something you can learn to then bring to the next thing. Always, everywhere, hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And let's talk about kind of those first forays because, you know, you're working as an iPhone repairman and you got this kind of commission, but what were the steps beyond that? Or even before that, when you first moved, what was that feeling like? Because there's always that feeling of fear or dread in a lot of composers when they hit whatever city they're in. It's like, okay, now I have to do it. What were your first initial thoughts on how you're going to do it, especially not being in a hub? Yeah. So I got started before I graduated, knowing I was going to be moving away to a completely new territory, completely away from everything. I spent my senior year of college, like in the back of like my gen ed physics class or whatever, like emailing, like, I don't recommend this these days. Cause it's like, now it's kind of the running joke, but back then there was more room for this where I was literally just cold calling, emailing developers, like maybe 10 or 20 a day. Right. Just saying, hey, I'm this, this is what I do, this is what I sound like. I might have sent like 500 emails and gotten like one response, you know? But at the end of the day, my first gig was through that process because I wanted to get everything kind of rolling before I took that leap, right? So one thing I can, I can say is that was really helpful to kind of get the ball rolling because then that first gig didn't pay much at all, uh, but I was a senior in college and I made that had some experience and then that led to the next kind of, okay, I have more in my portfolio, can share more with people, can continuously kind of keep growing. Uh, and even when I moved out here, when I was at the iPhone store, I was literally like in downtime on Twitter, connecting with people, sending direct messages. It was a Mac store. So I had a little Mac laptop and then I asked my boss, I was like, can I just like do stuff like when no one's around? He's like, yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever. And so I'm there like learning how to do marketing. Like I'm like, half watching a marketing course while half like direct. I mean, I was just doing whatever I could any spare moment I had 
to connect to people on the internet. I mean, it was just full force. But it was by doing that 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 then led to the initial gigs that I started getting, like the Ambassador Fracture Timelines and Call of Saragnar, which I'm still working on like that. I mean, even and this is now five years later and this is still being worked on. So it's it's a big game. But either way, like those initial steps was really just putting myself out there 100%, even though I didn't really have much to say. Like I didn't have much to offer. I was like, I don't really have much of a portfolio, but I'm just going to throw myself in front of all these faces on the internet anyway. And that was helpful. That was very helpful. Yeah, definitely. That's a big part of it, as you you well know. But I'm sure after you got those first little gigs, it was smooth sailing and no problems from then on. And it was just easy gigs from then on, right? Like, no problem? <laughs> oh, yeah, zero problems. None. No. <laughs> oh, gosh, dude. So many problems. And that's the thing, too. I mean, not to get too personal, but since I've been married, you know, one of the core elements to our marriage, this is just our own experience for those listening. Everything I'm saying today is my own experience. But we like to have just very much like I work and she kind of takes care of the house, the house and the home. And we have a very traditional way of life in that regard. You know, again, if we have kids, whenever we have kids, we're kind of creating that life now so that if we have kids, she's at home with the kids and I'm working full time. Like that's kind of the way we've designed it. But with that, especially when you're first starting out in music, that's like a lot of stress, a lot of financial difficulties. So the problems that I ran into in starting out, especially was like, how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to do this? And she took on some part-time work every now and then, you know, when we needed it. But most of the problems was just figuring out, okay, where am I going to get the money? How am I going to make this consistent? And how much am I willing to sacrifice in order to make ends meet, which is another, you know, big component of like what even life can look like as a musician. Like, are you willing to take on a job that's not music at all for the sake of stability, you know? So for me, stability was kind of the biggest takeaway that I, in living here and doing all this stuff, especially online, it's like, as long as I'm feeling stable, I feel like I'm going to be okay. Right. I'm not so worried about are people going to have eyes on this game? You know, a lot of a lot of the problems I was having initially in my head was like, oh, but no one's going to know about it. But then when I started actually living life, I was like, okay, actually, the real problem is not having enough money. <laughs> right. So that was that was kind of the biggest problem. There there were challenges and there are still challenges uh, in, in other capacities now. Mm hmm. Totally. And there is there is a whole thing with I, I mean, I see this in basically any artistic medium where artists of any sort will say like, okay, there are, you know, sacrifices to be made and therefore they'll work 23 hours a day, one hour of sleep for like six years and then totally burn out. And that's kind of the end of it. But I know you're all about, I mean, you have a, a lifestyle that I really like. You live, you know, in nature. I wish I lived near a super cold body of water and could do cold plunges as, as hard as you do. But you have this really cool kind of lifestyle that you set up that is like non-traditional in a composer's sense, right? So can you talk to that and how you kind of set that up so you're not working those, you know, necessarily all the time, those like 20 hour days that is so typical in this field. Yeah. And I want to first mention that it was actually by living that way, like nonstop work all the time, seven days a week, that actually really put a big thorn into our day-to-day -day life at, at home that Maria, my wife, she was eventually like, hey, we got to figure this out because you're working like more hours than you're getting paid to do. And it's just, there was zero balance. There was zero work-life balance, zero, zilch. 
And that was when I was like, okay, you know, like I kind of need to pull back from this. I kind of need to figure out, okay, how, how can we live a life that works best for us? Not on the description of what a composer should live like, but how should we live our lives? And so I don't know how much you know about kind of like the five love languages, but like, you know, the physical touch and the words of affirmation, that kind of thing, you know, so Maria's was very much quality time. Okay. So I wasn't honoring that. So let's honor that. I need to step up and honor that. And so we created a system that no matter what, by pretty much 6 PM, no later than 6:30 on any given workday, I am done. Doesn't matter if something needs to be turned in tomorrow. I will just get up earlier the next day and turn it in tomorrow. But so long as there's a strict cutoff point, it allows us to have the time that we need together just to hang out, to spend time with friends and family and that sort of thing. Because I think that also then encourages composers or myself at least to then really focus, right? Okay. So if this is the time I've got, if I've got between 8am and 6pm, 6.30 max to do all my work for whatever it is, three games and, you know, my organ stuff and my, oh, I got to teach a lesson, whatever that is, how can I maximize those hours? And that has taken years, if I'm being honest, to really get good at. Uh, it has not been an overnight procedure, <laughs> but th at the end of the day, it, it came down to what is the lifestyle that we want, that we both feel good, right? When I was working my butt off, you know, 80 hours a week or whatever it is, and she, you know, we barely saw each other. She was, of course, feeling lonely, and I was feeling physically just just tanked. I mean, there was just zero life to me at that point. So I get up, I guess, 6 o'clock, maybe a little before 6 every day, do the Wim Hof breathing, jump in some cold water, pray, meditate, you know, just kind of write down what am I doing for the day, and I'm usually full force working by 8 a.m. I give myself kind of an hour to an hour and a half, no phone, no technology, no screens, literally just, just the sun, just whatever it is, like no social media, nothing. And then I allow myself between four to six hours, depending on what I've got that day of just nonstop uninterrupted creative work. So like eight to two is, you know, typically or eight to noon. And then I'll do my admin. Then I will check social media. You know, there are times where if I know I'm, if, if I'm anticipating a message or something, I'll check at like 11 o'clock. I always just want to make sure I give myself at least three hours of uninterrupted music making at least three, ideally four, maximally six would be great. But there are times, okay, well, I know I need to send something to them, you know, four hours in or something like that happens, that happens. And even there are days where I wake up and it's like, you know what? I'd rather just eat something first because my body's starving. I'm not going to deal with the breathing at the moment. Or I'm not going to deal with the cold right now because I'm like starving. I didn't eat enough yesterday or whatever. Just listening to what my body needs every day uh, has also been very enlightening for me rather than, okay, this is what I'm doing. No matter what, I don't care how I feel. I don't care. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. Sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of tuning into, okay, what do I actually need today? Do I need 30 more minutes of sleep? You know, can I, you know, so that's those little moment to moment awareness, which is, you know, meditation is, is very, very helpful for that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that this, you know, this sort of thing took years. It wasn't just an overnight shift. And can you talk to how many years, you know, uh, of not only just this lifestyle stuff, but also how long you've been kind of working at your craft in terms of music? Because you're very orchestrally focused. You're very, very good. You write for full orchestra. You've been upping your production. Like, that's not an overnight thing. So can you talk to the amount of time that this really takes to start, one, getting competent at, and two, getting kind of work and getting it to be kind of more of a stable income? Sure. Yeah. Great question. So starting with the lifestyle, because that's an easier answer, that's taken me, I'm going to say maybe between one to two years 
of really shifting out of the just the produce, 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 go, 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 go mentality. I mean, that's just something that's hammered into us as musicians, especially in music school. It's like if you're not sitting in the practice room for hours and then you're doing it wrong, right? So that was the mentality I had basically from like birth through up for, you know, a few years ago. So to retrain that, to rewire that, like, oh, it's okay for me to wake up and just do some breath work and maybe just while I'm eating my breakfast, just like look at the backyard and watch the birds fly. Like it's okay to just watch stuff, like look outside and not to, to not be doing something. So that took about a year or two, roughly. So working as a composer then, I mean, I graduated, it's been, been about six years since I've been out of school. Now, keeping in mind, if that year seven was really my senior year was when I technically speaking, got my first paid gig. So I've been kind of at this for seven years. And it was really only up until this past year that I was able to pull back from some of the non-music writing work. Again, based upon our lifestyle, that is just what, what I needed to do, right? I needed to make sure that everything was paid for, everything's been going fine. Up until about a year ago where I had enough coming in from writing music for games or otherwise, that I was able to then pull back a little bit. So that's six, seven years. That's a long time. It's a long time. And it did not happen overnight, by no means. The only thing that I will say that kind of happened overnight was the snowball effect, you know? So all the years of putting in the work and sharing the stuff and connecting with developers and, you know, local ensembles or whatever it is, all the years of connecting with people literally just, I guess, since June, maybe May or April, where I got three inquiries immediately, two of which were like, hey, we're finally ready for you. We've been talking together for four years. We're finally ready to bring you on for this. So two of those happened in May, and then one in June was a random occurrence. It was that snowball effect, right? Where it's almost like a very kind of not very steep slope, and then suddenly it spikes. Financially, you know, creatively all encompassing, but mostly that financial component of, oh, wow. Like I wasn't anticipating making this this year. Like this is great, you know, but it was, it was only because of those, you know, four or five, six years of really just, just connecting and staying connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that snowball happens to so many people in this field. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, like things are happening. And what do you say to those composers who are on like year five, right? That that kind of middle point where it's like, well, I've been doing this a while and nothing has happened. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are in that state. What do you say to them? Well, I think it's first to good take a step back and and say, okay, what's working and what isn't, right? To be objective about it. Right. I think a lot of times we're like afraid of the analytics. I don't know about you, Akash, but like I know for me, sometimes if I post something, I'm like afraid to press like how is this resonating with people? Like there are times where I like just don't want to know, <laughs> but it's, it's important. It's important to see, okay, what has worked? Okay. Over the last five years, what has worked? What hasn't, right? I know for me, initially I was making music, uh, no matter what people asked me to make, whether it was, you know, Celtic lo-fi hip hop or whatever, whatever people asked me to do, I did it. But what always came back to was the orchestral sound. And I'm glad because that's what I love making the most but that's what resonated with the people most. Okay, so I'm just gonna lock into this. Whether I'm singing with it for my personal albums or whether it's for a game, whatever it is, I wanna make sure that there's something with an orchestra. And that is when things really stuck. So I think step one would be, okay, take a look at what you're doing. Take a look at what's going on. 
what has worked? Was there any post that really resonated with people? Do more of what's working essentially. And to not be afraid to not do what's not working, right? I was making like little, some, some video series a few years back and I was like, okay, just, it wasn't clicking. So I'm just not going to do it. You know, like there's, that's nothing wrong with that. So that would be step one. Step two would be to keep your head in there for as long as you can, right? Because everyone's life situation is different. I mean, I know people, I won't mention their name, but they got to a certain point where something just wasn't happening, but I know they and their spouse wanted to have children and money was needed. So they were like, you know, I'm just going to continue making this, but I'm not going to put so much pressure behind it. I'm just going to do something of what I love to do. And, you know, maybe it's a desk job somewhere that's stable money. Like that's also okay. But I think so long as you've got the, the creativity and the energy for it to just keep doing it, I can almost guarantee something will shift. So long as you're putting it in front of people, something will shift in a positive way. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Especially that putting in front of people part. That's a big, big, big thing. And you mentioned something just now where you said like, oh, as soon as I stopped doing, you know, the things that weren't working or in the case of music, you kind of stopped writing in every possible style that everyone asked you to and kind of honed in more on the orchestral side, which is, you know, what you're kind of known for now. And it's scary to composers to focus Right, like that. They think they need to write absolutely every single style from polka dubstep all the way to violin concertos, right? It's because they think, oh my God, I'm going to lose out on all these clients if I can't write in every possible style of music. But that wasn't the case for you. And that's not the case that I see for most composers. So can you talk about how that kind of process worked, how you improved your skills in those areas and how it felt to kind of ditch the other stuff that maybe wasn't clicking with you. Sure. So in terms of the orchestral music, I always wanted to do more of that, but I think I was afraid that if I just locked into one thing, I would lose other opportunities. I also, I like to think of it as like orchestral with wiggle room, right? If someone wants, again, I mentioned Celtic lo-fi hip hop, that was a legit request, but they were like, well, can you make it a little orchestral? And I was like, okay, thank, thank goodness. Finally, it's like, okay, at least I can do, lean into one thing that I know what to do. So by locking into something, what I discovered was actually how much more there was still to learn about it, right? It'd be something like, I knew generally how to mix orchestra stuff. I knew generally how to kind of do it well. Okay, but the moment I was like, all right, you know what? Let me just really lean into this. Let me take like an orchestral mixing course. Let me just research, okay, what can I do to better produce orchestral stuff? Maybe some better samples that I found there was even more to discover. There was even more to unpack of like, oh, wow. Like I didn't realize how little I knew until I really leaned into it. And then it's like, oh, there's still much more to learn. I mean, even now, I bet I'm going to be saying the same thing 10 years from now. There's always something to kind of learn about it, you know? And I kind of took a similar approach with my, you know, more solo artist, singer songwriter stuff too. You know, my first album was kind of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do kind of this mixed bag type kind of alt rock singer songwriter thing with orchestra. And it was, it, it worked well. It worked well for what it was. The second time, second release lost at sea. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go full force orchestra because that's what I love to do. And that's what resonated more with people. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so then since then, I've been like listening to artists like Woodkid or like Sleeping at Last, where it's all these kind of these big orchestra things. And I'm like, OK, there's a market for this. I'm going to do this, which is what I'm working on now for my next album, where it's very like here's an orchestra and a vocalist and probably some drums and guitars and stuff, you know. But it was by leaning into the one thing that I know really well that I'm 
almost opening more doors for creative possibilities. I know it kind of sounds backwards, but it's 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 almost like the limiting factor opens up more chances to be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's a common conception with orchestral, especially that one, it's really cool, which it is. And two, that it's like impossibly expensive. You have to wait until you're on working on inception before you can even hire an orchestra, but you've done it. Like you've worked with live musicians, you've worked with small groups and big groups. Can you talk about that process when working on games that aren't necessarily like these trillion dollar budgets? Right. Sure. Yeah. So I recently worked with the Budapest scoring orchestra for Call of Saganar for the main theme. And again, it, it was more of a budgetary decision. And their prices, I think when I did that, it was like, a, I think it was like a thousand bucks for a 30 minute session or something, you know? So I knew, okay, I'm not going to be able to live record the entire soundtrack. If the soundtrack is like four hours long or whatever it's going to end up being, there's no way. Like I would not have any food or a house or clothes. Like I would be so broke. So what I can do though, is I can say, okay, based upon what I'm getting from this project, what can I do? What can I invest from my own pocket into this? Because there's something to be said too about how much are you willing to invest yourself into it? You know, of course, take the budget of the project into consideration, but are you willing to, you know, add a couple hundred bucks out of your, out of your own pocket for this to make it that much cooler, to make it that much more exciting for you and for others. So for Call of Sagner, there was a little bit of my own money and there was, it was mostly the budget from the game. And I plan on doing a couple more, you know, live recordings for that soundtrack, but definitely not the whole thing. And another instance, a game I'm working on now, I can't talk about it, but I'm just going to do strings because that's all the track needs. It's just live recorded strings. I don't need the brass and woodwinds for that track specifically. So I can do that. And one last thing that can really help those who are curious is to just bring on a soloist. I can't tell you how much just a soloist will improve the way your virtual samples sound, right? So even if you have like 99.5% virtual orchestra, by bringing on a solo oboist, for example, or like a solo violinist, it's going to make it sound that much more real. And so that's an approach that I will take almost all the time now is to just bring on soloists if I can't afford to hire a full ensemble. Very, very nice. Let's take a little uh, pivot here because I know you also kind of have an educational bent to what you do. You know, on Instagram, you, you share a lot of stuff about writing for orchestra or even something that I really like called creative caffeine, where you give a lot of like tips on creating music and the life behind it and all that. Can you talk about where this kind of educational bent came from and what the sort of things you want to see the new composers, the up and coming composers learn about working in the field? Great question. So the educational aspect kind of goes back to actually when I took your game industry pro course, like whenever the first one came out, like two decades ago or whenever that was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago, whenever that was the idea of, okay, do something that you can do. I think there was like an accountability part and it was like make tutorials or do something. So I started way back when making tutorials on YouTube about like music theory through game soundtracks. And it really stuck with people and I enjoyed making it then. Okay. Well, let me take this education into a more how can I monetize this? So private lessons was the obvious, like, here's what I can do. So when I graduated, I started teaching privately that allowed me to have some additional income teaching the stuff that I was doing day to day. And I really liked it. And then I maybe it was like three years ago where I said, you know, 
I just want to try my hand at not doing any education at all and just go full force writing for a year and see how it feels. Year later, I looked back, I reflected, and I said, you know, I missed it. I really missed it. So I guess it was about a, a year or so now ago where I got back into the tutorials, not only on short form and Instagram, but also on YouTube, you know, more long form on YouTube, all about the orchestra stuff, right? My long-term goal, my long-term vision being thinking many years ahead at this point, maybe five plus years, maybe three plus, this idea of writing orchestra music for games, writing orchestra music to be performed live, writing orchestra music that I'm literally singing with and producing these hybrid orchestra singer-songwriter albums. How can I share the knowledge of orchestration to others who have no idea where to start? That's kind of the long-term goal for me. And so what I'm doing now, today, is establishing that kind of foothold as I teach orchestra music. I teach people how to use orchestra samples and how to orchestrate and how to mix it and, and all that stuff, because that's going to be the foundation for what I really want to be doing, which is to, to almost on a wider scale, if you like Tony Manfredonia's orchestra stuff in all these various capacities, here's how you can do it too. That's like the short <laughs> pitch if you want to think of it that way. So for me, it's, it's more so I love teaching. I mean, really, I just love it. Whereas like some people really just like not teaching. <laughs> I do. It's something I always want to make sure that I'm still doing. And whatever, whether that's a course, whether that's a Discord server, whatever it is, I want to be sure that I'm still educating people and improving how to orchestrate and make it more approachable. Because I think a lot of times, you know, you have these formal orchestration textbooks written by people who died like 300 years ago, and they make it sound like super complicated and really hard. And it's like, well, yes, it takes time to get better at, but the foundations aren't as complicated as some of them make it sound <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's like, well, there's actually really simple ways to approach this, but I, I just don't think that's communicated in many resources. So that's kind of a mission of mine is to make it a little bit more accessible. Mm. Yeah. Kind of related to that. Uh, is there something you wish up and coming composers knew, whether it be writing about writing for orchestra or just working in this field in general, whether it be just making music for games or just in general, is there something you wish that they just knew sooner so that they didn't make a, maybe a mistake that you or I did or kind of run into a pitfall or anything like that? Oh, wow. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> the, the first one that's coming to mind is this is going to be more for those if you're coming from like a traditional orchestration or like a traditional acoustic writing background to be okay with sacrificing your original idea for the sake of making the sample sound better. It happens every day where it's like, okay, I'm going to score this thing out. This is what I would love for it to do if real people were going to do this. But when I open up Cubase and throw in on the samples, I'm like, well, they're going to sound like jank if I leave it this way. So I have to find an alternative that kind of matches the same idea. Uh, so that is going to be the biggest thing is to be okay with not necessarily writing for the samples, but being okay with sacrificing your original idea to make it sound better with the samples, if that makes sense and resonates with the people out there, because it happens to me every day, like no joke. Second thing I guess would be when, when it comes to orchestra music, like producing it, the biggest thing that I've learned, the biggest thing, and the thing that really will dictate the overall sound or most of the overall sound is going to be EQ. Because there's the logic of, okay, every individual sample was recorded as an individual sample, but they were all recorded in the same room. So when you pile in all the rooms together, you have a lot of room and that's going to build up real quick. 
So what I've really tried to, to get efficient at is just being able to EQ things as quickly as possible. Like, okay, I got my bassoons. This is where I'm EQing this way. Like I'm not even thinking about it anymore. I'm just, I'm hearing it. I'm cutting it out and I'm just moving on with the music. Cause I think what will end up happening for people who are new to making, especially virtual orchestra music. And this is, I was guilty of this. When I first started, I was very guilty of this. It's like, oh, well they made these samples with a real orchestra. So therefore you put them all together and it'll sound great. It's like, well, not always. You're, you're going to have, you're still going to have to mix it, right? Orchestration is of course important, but you're still going to have to mix it. Like you'd be mixing anything else. It's not like a magic secret sauce, just because you have the latest orchestral tool library, like you're still going to have to think about mixing it. And that's where I was, I don't want to use the word lazy, but that's where I was kind of under the misconception that it was going to kind of work itself out, that I didn't have to do as much work with it, you know? So you're still gonna have to work with it. Sorry. Like I, I feel bad saying that, but so any, uh, there's actually a really great resource for, um, for those new to it. Uh, Joel, I'm going to butcher his name. So forgive me, but, uh, Joel Dali, he's a French mixing engineer all orchestra. He has a fantastic orchestra mixing courses, highly recommended, highly recommended across the board for anyone wanting to do more orchestra stuff. You get, I mean, it was like invaluable. I took the course and I was like, wow, this is like speeding up my workflow tenfold. Very nice. That's awesome. And speaking of, you know, all that learning stuff, what do you kind of focus on learning nowadays? Oh, wow. I would say a couple of things, a couple of things. What, so in terms of music, Definitely still trying to lean into like, how can I produce my own orchestra stuff better? Because I think that's going to be a forever journey. I think, I think that's one of those things where, you know, you look at Alan Meyerson and how many things he's worked on. And it's like, look at how many things he's worked on. Like, it's going to take time before I'm at his level, right? So I think that for me is always going to be kind of a tweaking, learning. Oh, I'm going to just kind of mosey on over to that tutorial and see what they're doing. That's going to be kind of an ongoing thing. In terms of life, this is a whole other topic, but... I've also been really actively learning about completely different topic, actually, like body work. So like the idea of like the fascia tissue in the body and like how it's all interconnected and how like, you know, people who would like, let's say soldiers with PTSD or something like how they, how, how that is actually, they're, they're learning in studies, how so much of that is actually related to the body and less the mind. So it's almost like I've been really learning about, okay, how can you work on the body to almost heal the mind and vice versa? So anyway, that's its own thing. That's something, but both my wife and I have been really on this kick of like learning about just all like anatomy and just, just how can I sit better? How can I walk better? How can I just, just have better posture? and work on my body and stretch my body in all these different ways to kind of actually soothe the mind and actually make the mind more efficient. It's been, it's been fascinating. Uh, I don't talk about it at all on the internet, but I'm very fascinated with it these days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be asking you for some resources on that because that stuff's yeah. <laughs> fascinating. It's so cool. It's such a cool world. Oh, I know. It's been kind of blowing my mind. And I think actually my first journey into that was actually the Wim Hof method with like deeper breathing and like using your breath to calm yourself down in the cold water, a stressful situation, how that really ends up, it strengthens, it strengthens the body, which therefore strengthens the mind, right? It's, it's immensely powerful. And obviously anyone who's listening, if you choose to do this, be sure to double check with your doctors and stuff. But it's this idea of like bringing yourself back into the body. It brings more focus into my life. And you would almost think it's the other, the other way. Okay. Let's say you have an anxious situation. Okay. Let me calm my mind down. It's like, well, no, calm your breath down. 
which will then calm your heart down, which will then calm your mind down, right? It's, it's almost like starting from the bottom and going to the top rather than top down. So that stuff I've been really uh, reading about, you know, bioenergetics. Oh, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, I, I've been I've been very fascinated by this topic these days. Oh, that's so cool. I, we have we have to talk more about this offline because that's that's a whole world <laughs> yeah. that's very fun to talk about. It's very very cool. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one question that I ask everyone who comes on here, and I'm going to ask it to you now, is when you were first starting out in this field, and that could be anything when you you know first started playing organ or just got into music in general, and all the way to now, how did you define success when you're first starting, and how has that changed over time, and what is that definition now? For me, the idea of success when I first started music was fame. And that has drastically shifted, right? So, and I think that's a common thing. Like the more people who know about you, the more successful you are. And there were, I was always under the assumption, well, the more popular you are, the more money you have. Like that was just the automatic one-to-one -one ratio, right? But in living life here in remote Michigan and really just like literally marrying into a family of plumbers, all of Maria's brothers are plumbers and they're awesome. Like seeing that how much skill and how much hard work goes into something like plumbing just as much as something like music in a different way. It really sh shaped my idea of success that like it's, it's more about stability for me, right? Success is more about am I using my gifts, whatever gifts that I have, whether that's teaching, whether that's writing music, whether that's playing music, whether that's, you know, arrange music, whether that's just giving a talk somewhere, whatever gifts I have as a human being, am I using them? And am I able to support my wife and our future kids? That's success to me. And I have had many conversations with Maria about this. It's like, okay, if your if your music's not bringing in enough money, let's say, you know, something goes wrong financially, I lose a couple projects, whatever happens, are you willing to get a, so to speak, quote unquote, office job to make sure that you're supporting us. And that's something that took me a very long time to grapple with. But now I can confidently say it's like, yeah, I would. Because it's this stability factor. Am I using my gifts as a person, whether for music or otherwise, to support and have a roof over the head and put food on the table and, and provide a peaceful home for my family? That to me is success. And it's, I almost want to cry because like, it was such a turning point for me because I never thought I would see it happen. There was a point where I was like, I'm losing my mind with this music stuff. I'm working so hard and getting nowhere. But as soon as the mindset shifted of like, let me just use my gifts as a human, which most of them are music related, to support my family. When I could, when I could sit with that as success, that was when I was like, okay, I suddenly have like a thousand times more peace that if I, if I lose anything, I'm still going to be okay. You know, I can, I can comfortably just do something else, you know, uh, not to say that I have a plan B, I don't have a plan B right now, but if, if push comes to shove, am I willing to do that? And I, I will say, yes, I don't know. Stability is everything I've discovered. Stability is everything for me personally. Mm -hmm. I imagine ironically, as soon as you kind of had that internal kind of dialogue with yourself, the music stuff probably got a little bit easier to pursue. It was less stressful. Kind of a, a quick story. So a game I worked on, Charon's Crypt, came out back in February of 2022. But when I was first working on that, 
I was putting all of my eggs into one basket. Like this soundtrack has to be the thing that sends me into the stratosphere of popularity and finances. And that made creating that thing a nightmare at times. Cause I was so fo like, it has to be perfect, quote unquote, perfect. Right. And it wasn't perfect. Game came out. People loved it. I still have to do the things to get my work, but there was the, for like a year and a half, I was just in this zone of like, nope, I'm not working on, on anything. I'm losing money, but I don't care because I want to make sure that this one thing is perfect. And I wasted so much energy with that mentality, so much energy, because it was like, at the end of the day, it nothing's ever going to be perfect. One thing, unless you're really lucky, is probably not going to just send you into, you know, you're suddenly a millionaire because one game, you know, just suddenly did well. Like that maybe can happen and probably has, but it's not very common. You know, it's something, it's something you can bank on. And so once I kind of realized like, oh, well, I'm just going to make sure that I'm doing whatever can bring in stable income, whatever that looks like, there was so much less pressure. Even like turning in a track, there was a lot less pressure because I wasn't so caught up in the perfection of it. It's like, okay, well, do the clients like it? Okay, great. <laughs> Moving on. You know, That's an awesome lesson to wrap up on. So last question, where can people find you? Plug anything you want. Sure. Yeah. You can find me, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Dare I say TikTok uh, at Tony Manfredonia. Uh, I think I think Instagram has an underscore, Tony underscore Manfredonia. Uh, YouTube, manfredoniamusic.com. That's where the my hub is. That's where if I release any coursework or uh, more educational materials, that's where they, they will be. That's just my name. There's not many. I don't know if there's any other Tony Manfredonias in music out there. So just search me up. I'm everywhere. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is amazing, Tony. Thank you, Akash. I appreciate it. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game, music, and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.